welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Good morning, uh, everyone who's gathered here today. Uh, I'm Mike McNichols, and I, I currently serve as the interim pastor here at The Vine. It's, it's a joy to be with you, and we're coming to you live today, each, each and every one of us. Now, if you're new to The Vine and you would like to get more information or, or just find some ways to connect, you can just email us at hello at thevineoc.com, and someone will be happy to respond to you. <clears throat> and even during this really unusual time in our country's history, in terms of our pandemic. There are still things that are going on at the Vine, uh, even though we're not currently meeting in person on Sundays. Uh, on Tuesday nights from 7 to 8, we're, we're meeting in online small groups. Uh, we have a time of worship, reflection on scripture. We get to share our lives together and pray. And so if you'd like to join in on that, just go to our homepage and, and click on the box that says Vine Midweek Gathering. Or again, you can just email us at hello at thevineoc.com and and we'll be happy to send you the Zoom link. <clears throat> now, we've been meeting twice a month on Saturdays at Hillcrest Park in Fullerton for an evening picnic and to share the Lord's Supper together. But with the time change, we have changed that. We're going to be meeting on Sundays at noon. Now, we had planned to meet today, but we're thinking that the weather may not be too friendly to picnickers. And so rather than take that risk, uh, instead, we're going to move the gathering for today over to next Sunday, Sunday, November 15th. And we'll have another gathering on, on the 22nd. So we gather at noon and we share the Lord's Supper at around 12.30, and all are welcome to come. Now, our children are involved as well. We've got weekly online small groups that are specially designed for our kids, and we've got loving and dedicated leaders who guide them through their time together. Uh, the Shower Laundry Ministry continues to serve our friends who are in need in the community. They gather on the first and third Saturdays of the month. This may be something that you have interest in, something that you'd like to join in with, uh, to the ministry, to the homeless and the needy in our community. And if so, again, you could just reach out at hello at thevineoc.com and, and we'll give you some guidance that direction. And now, uh, let's enter a time of giving. We believe that, that generosity is, is part of our worship to God. And we give so that our church's shared life of worship and ministry is sustained and continued. And our giving is actually a response to the generosity of God, whose love, grace, and care has been poured out upon us. Now, after we pray, the ways to give will be shown on the screen. So let's pray together as we prepare to give. Lord, teach us to give freely and generously. Let nothing in this world keep us from reflecting your generosity. Let us trust that when we are generous, you will ensure that our needs are taken care of, for you are our good shepherd. Amen. Praise God from blessings flow. Praise Him, O
Scripture readings this morning come from both the Old and New Testament. And the first one is from the Old Testament book of Joshua. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. And a reading from the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus is speaking. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten young bridesmaids, who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Now, five of them were wise, and the other five were foolish. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't bring oil for them. But the wise ones took their lamps and also brought containers of oil. When the groom was late in coming, they, they all became drowsy and went to sleep. But at midnight there was a cry, Look, the groom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps, but... The foolish bridesmaids said to the wise ones, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps have gone out. But the wise bridesmaid replies, bridesmaids replied, No, because if we share with you, there won't be enough for our lamps and yours. We have a better idea. You go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the groom came. Those who were ready went with him into the wedding. Then the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep alert, because you don't know the day or the hour. And this, my friends, is the gospel of the Lord. Jesus' parable uh, from Matthew 25, yet another story about a wedding, it brings to light two important aspects of the kingdom of God, the generosity of the invitation and the possibility of the invitees to make choices that would result in them being excluded. Now, the 10 young women in the story were supposed to serve as bridesmaids in the wedding. This is, this is a part of the fun of going uh, live is that when your computer acts up and you can't read the notes that you've created for yourself, you have to back up and start again. Now, I'm not going to start all over again, but let me try this. The, the 10 young women in the story were, were supposed to serve as bridesmaids during the wedding, and then they would be allowed to stay to enjoy the party. All 10 were invited, and, and all 10 appeared to arrive prepared for the event. Uh, once the bridegroom arrived that evening, they would then greet him with their lamps lit, since it, it would be dark outside. And then they would accompany him into the wedding party, where they would then join with the bride, and the festivities would begin. Now, they all had lamps filled with oil, but only five of them brought extra oil, just in case. Now, I'm imagining these to be young women, maybe teenagers, 
and, and they were probably having a good time waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. It, it might be that the, the five without extra oil asked the others why they had lugged containers of oil when, when their lamps were already full. And maybe those replied and said, well, we brought extra oil just in case there was a delay, in case the bridegroom decided to arrive later than planned. You never know what might happen with the whole village out in the streets getting ready for the party. And you know how the groom is. He, he, uh, he makes his own decisions. He's not shy about changing things up. And the five without oil might have laughed at them and said, oh, come on. The wedding starts at eight o'clock. By the time the party begins, we won't even need our lamps any longer. You guys brought that oil for nothing. But it wasn't for nothing. Indeed, the bridegroom arrived later than scheduled and long enough for the girls to fall asleep waiting for things to start. And it appears that they left their lamps lit throughout the evening. So when the bridegroom shows up at midnight, the lamps are almost dry. And those without extra oil are up a creek without a paddle, so to speak. Now, the bridesmaids with extra oil, the wise ones, according to Jesus, seem at first just a bit selfish by refusing to share their oil. You know, were, were they feeling a bit superior to the foolish ones? Well, more likely, they recognize that to share the oil would be to ensure that no one would have enough to get through the evening, and, and the roles of the bridesmaids would be rendered useless. Regardless, the foolish ones head out to find someone who will sell them some oil, which would be a real challenge after normal business hours. And when they finally return with their lamps refilled, it's too late. The party is in full swing and the bridegroom won't let them inside, even saying that he doesn't know them. And why? Why doesn't he know them? Well, it could be that he didn't know any of them until he returned. It's likely that they had been selected by the bride and her future husband might have had no reason to be acquainted with a bunch of teenage girls. But once inside at the wedding party, he then had the chance to get acquainted with the five wise young women. The others would remain strangers to him. So what was the choice here? All 10 of the bridesmaids accepted the invitation to participate in the wedding. And they were not just guests, they had roles to play. They were to be a part of the wedding party. Now, the wise girls took this invitation seriously, even making sure to plan for the possibility of the bridegroom's late arrival. But the others chose to bank on the predictability of the schedule of events and to not bother themselves with another errand before the fun began. You know, this parable is at, at one level about the future. It's about the time when God will reconcile all things to himself and reveal the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. The invitation to that future is broad and generous, like the story of the farmer who scattered seed all over his field. And it's about the possibility of people not taking the invitation seriously and finding that they planned their lives around the wrong set of expectations. But the story is also about the present. In Jesus' day, 
he was extending the invitation to embrace the present reality of God's kingdom to everyone. The ones who responded well, wisely, we might say, they came to know Jesus as Lord, as Messiah, as rescuer, as healer, as the Son of God. Those who resisted were usually of the religious elite, people who already thought they knew what was what, who had expectations that were firm and predictable, people who believed they didn't need extra oil for their lamps because they were already convinced about the timing of the wedding. You know, I, I appreciate that, that most people prefer certainty over unpredictability. Uh, setting, settling things in one's mind so that the, the whole mental wheel doesn't have to be reinvented over and over is preferable to having to navigate things that, that cannot be clearly calculated. For example, you want to be certain that the, that the route you take from home to work is available every day so that you can calculate your arrival time. But when you discover one morning that the road you usually take is closed because of major construction, You'll end up being late for work, and you're going to have to rethink your daily travel plans. Unpredictability has disrupted your certainty, and now you have to reinvent the wheel of travel so that you can get, on, get to work on time. And of course, for those of you who have been working from home for most of this year, uh, driving to work each day may be just a sort of distant, <laughs> fond memory. You know, the, the people of God have always struggled with this kind of thing. Throughout history, they have turned away from the mysterious, unpredictable God that they can't see, can't even make an image that represents this God. And, and they have given their allegiance and their worship to other things, like kings and, and even idols. And it's always with disastrous consequences, according to the biblical narrative. And that's what Joshua was dealing with in our Old Testament reading this morning. The ancestors of the people of Israel had been slaves in Egypt, and many of them had adopted the gods of Egypt as their own. It appears that the siren song of idol worship was still present among the people, and Joshua gives them a stark choice. Revere and serve the Lord, and get rid of your idols, or abandon the Lord, the one who rescued your ancestors from Egypt, and then go ahead and put your trust in your idols. Do what you want, Joshua tells them. But Joshua and his kinfolk will continue to serve the Lord, regardless of what everyone else does. You know, if you read on in the story in Joshua, the, the people go ahead and they affirm what Joshua is saying, and they promise to follow his example. Now, of course, that problem unravels over time as the people repeatedly turn away from the unpredictable, mysterious, redeeming, and rescuing God and turn to the idols of wood and stone and iron who are, in and of themselves, nothings. They decided to serve nothings. Yes, the, the idols, in and of themselves, were truly nothings, but the requirements of idol worship were real, and sometimes they were horrific. Under corrupt kings, the, the people of Israel allowed idol worship to come back into the community. And there were times when, when that brand of worship 
required even human sacrifice, specifically and horribly the killing and burning of their own children. The idols were nothings, but their demands could be murderous. You know, I'd like to think that we Christians in our time uh, have learned those lessons from Scripture very well, but I'm not sure that everyone has. Uh, we're not likely to fashion idols for ourselves, but we've got plenty that have been fashioned for us. Idols of, of religious superstardom or of political power or even just of nations themselves so that they become idols of prosperity and promise. And too often, people find comfort in the supposed predictability and certainty of those things. But all it takes is a new virus or a terrorist attack or a wildfire to show everyone that the world is not as safe and predictable as we imagined. The five foolish bridesmaids may have put their confidence in what they saw as the certainty of the schedule of events. Why bring extra oil when you know exactly when the groom will arrive and exactly how much oil you'll need? But the five wise bridesmaids put their confidence in the bridegroom, trusting him to come when he deemed it to be the right time. And so they came prepared. You know, since we've just gone through a very contentious presidential election here in the U.S., and the contention will probably continue for a while, I think it's good for us to sit back, take a deep breath, and remember who we are as Christians, as part of that historic people known as the people of God. Where we put our confidence and our trust and the choice we make about whom we will serve says a great deal about who or what we love. You know, during this election season in the U.S., and during most election seasons, uh, we, we've heard a number of people claiming that they love our country, especially from various candidates who claim to love the country more than their opponents do. Uh, and we hear that a lot, and many of us would echo that sentiment, and we would do so with sincerity. But it's still important to stop and consider what we mean when we say things like that. What is it that we love when we're referring to something other than a living being with whom we have a relationship? Now, in regards to our nation, we certainly value and appreciate its founding principles, its constitution. Uh, we know that we enjoy freedoms that many other countries do not. But there are also things we don't love, like the politicians we didn't vote for, or, or people who hold what we believe to be dangerous ideologies. And we also can't love what we don't know. I mean, I, I've been to a number of states in the U.S., but, but there's some that I've never been to, never visited, and I don't know anybody who even lives there. Those states, for me, are just places on a map, and I really can't love what I don't know. But there are people and places and things that I do know. People I love and cherish. Towns and, and geographical formations and lakes and rivers and oceans that are so familiar to me that I can barely imagine life without them. I have a strong affection for all of those and I may claim to love them because their familiarity provides me with comfort and a history and a valued place on planet Earth. And, 
and I've been to several different countries like a lot of you have. And, and I've heard people there make the same exact claim that we do. They say that they love their country. And, and rightfully so. Um, even, even when recognizing their own national problems, the, the, even the failures and the flaws of their own nation, there's still something that they love, something that we all love. Now, if you've ever had the opportunity to be with, with a, a group of Christians from various nations, including ones who would be very vocal about loving their own native countries, you begin to learn something very important, that regardless of the citizenships that are shown on our passports, we have solidarity as followers of Jesus. We are, in reality, fellow citizens of another kingdom, the kingdom of God. And that citizenship takes priority over all others. In the Gospel of John, chapter 18, Jesus tells Pontius Pilate, who, who is about to condemn Jesus to death, that his kingdom is not of this world. Now, Pilate might have looked around and agreed. He couldn't see whatever kingdom Jesus was describing. And, and if this bedraggled peasant was the king, then it wasn't much of a kingdom in the first place. But Pilate could see the kingdom of Caesar. He could see the Roman Empire because the evidence of power and domination was everywhere. Pilate had confidence in the certainty of the empire. Jesus' confidence was placed in the hands of God, his Father, whose work could not be predicted, calculated, or controlled. And as we know, the empire of Rome did not survive. But the kingdom of God is still at hand. Our love of people and things and places, that love is grounded in, in what we know or, or what we think we know, what we believe that we know. And for us, those loves can only be secondary at best. Our first love and our first allegiance is to the God who first loved us. We love God not because of what we think we know, but because we are known and we are loved by him. God's love is first. It always precedes any other loves that we claim to hold. Like the bridesmaids in the parable, we have the opportunity to be people who are always anticipating the arrival of the bridegroom, both in an ultimate final sense and in a real-time present sense. We wait for Jesus to bring the kingdom of God to its fullness, its completion. And we also wait to see how he will work right now in our time and place. How the reality and the values and the beauty of the kingdom of God will be realized here and now. And so we choose. We choose this day who we will serve. As followers of Jesus, as the people of God, we declare together as a household of faith that we will serve the Lord, who, in his unpredictability, in his mystery, shows us his face in the person of Jesus, the bridegroom whose generosity is boundless and who knows and loves us. You know, 
even in making the declaration that we will serve the Lord. We must pause to recognize and confess our failure to always be that kind of people. And so we come to the God who knows us, the one for whom we wait with preparation and anticipation. And we tell the truth about ourselves, trusting in his loving grace and forgiveness, looking ahead with confidence to that great wedding feast that is yet to come. And so we pray together. God, our Father, you are the everything that we desire. You are the everything we do not deserve. You are the love we have yet to find, the peace beyond imagining. You are the breath of life enlivening the hardest heart. You are the vibrant color illuminating the darkest dawn. You are the truth that calls in quiet whisper and through storm. You are the precious moment we reach out and touch your hand. For those days when we forget, forgive us. When life distracts and focus shifts, forgive us. When the self imposes its own will, forgive us. When our praise and worship fail to please, forgive us. Embrace us once again, we pray, in sweet and loving fellowship with you. Amen. May the Lord enrich us with his grace and nourish us with his blessing. The Lord defend us from trouble and keep us from all evil. The Lord receives our prayers and absolves us from our offenses for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.